to a new episode of the BookNet Canada podcast. I am your host, Natalia Lecon, one of the marketing associates at BookNet. Today, we'll be sharing an interview we recently did with Kylie Turner from 49 Shelf. In our conversation, we talked about the work 49 Shelf does, their role in promoting Kenyan literature, the importance of metadata, and much more. Before we hear Kyla's interview, I would like to first share the definition of Kenyan contributor, a term that you will hear in the interview and we at BookNet use a lot in our communications. Kenyan contributor is an author, illustrator, translator, or editor, in the case of an edited collection of material, who is a Kenyan citizen or a permanent resident of Canada. At BookNet, we love data. And one of the data points we keep track of is the number of books published by Kenyan contributors. In fact, up until September 2021, there were 143,000 ISBNs flagged with a Canadian contributor in Bibblesher, BookNet's quality control data aggregation and distribution system. But how do we keep track? The short answer is metadata. Borrowing from a great BookNet user doc that I will link in the notes. Publishers can help identify and promote their Kenyan author books by identifying Kenyan contributors in their Onyx files using the country code CA in the contributor composites country code element. You might be wondering, why is flagging Kenyan contributors important? We have a very thorough blog post written by BookNet's president and CEO, Noah Ginner, in which he makes a case for making this a priority when working on a book's metadata. But to give you a hint, it involves marketing, sales, and research. Again, this and any other resources mentioned today can be found in the notes. Now, without further ado, let's hear Kyla's interview. Kyla is a content marketing specialist a writer, editor, and creative director whose projects span print, web, and mixed media. Kylie has managed publication teams, consulted with publishing houses, developed brand strategy, designed positioning strategies, and written copy and content for more sectors and styles than anyone can remember. She is the managing editor of Foreign Shelf and an insightful commentator on social trends and issues. Thank you so much for joining us, Kylie. We are so happy to have you here. And we are going to ask you some questions about the project. And let's get us started. So for those who are not familiar with the Portland Shelf, why don't you tell us what is it? Who is behind it? Who is it for? Tell us everything. Okay. Um, it is actually quite hard to sum it up in, uh, in a nutshell because it's so many different things and it functions differently for, for various audiences. So uh, it's a website, it's obviously a website, um, but it's also, it can be defined as being like a repository. It holds uh, roughly 130,000 Canadian authored books across all genres, years and subjects, categories. So like nonfiction, kids, fiction, poetry, everything in between. And uh, it's actually the biggest collection of Canadian books on the internet. So in that sense, it's kind of, it's, there's, that's the database um, function of it. Um, but it also functions as a discovery center. So readers will pop onto the site to, to look for specific titles, but often also to browse around on what's new on the homepage, 
We've got an award winners um, page on the site. So they go and see what's, what's new there. Um, new lists. We have lists on the site. People can create their own lists or we make, the editors make lists. Um, authors contribute their own theme lists. Um, so there's lots to look at that way. Um, new blog posts. We post, I think, about three blog posts a week. So that can be author interviews or it can be indie booksellers picks. Um, in, uh, I can just anything, anything to do with Candlelit. And so in that way, it's a discovery center. It's a conversation starter. We extend our reach and our coverage, like what we put onto the site into social media. And we have more than 20,000 followers across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on top of close to 20,000, I think, members on the site. And then in some ways, it, it's, it functions a bit like an influencer, um, though we're not tied to any brand except for Canadian authored books. It's like we love them and we find ways of raising awareness of the most exciting ones. And when we get passionate about a book or a post or a list um, or an award program, it also gets others interested too, because we just are, we're just kind of like a conversation in some ways. And then um, I guess there are a couple of other ways, but it functions as media as well. In a context where there is um, shrinking coverage of books um, and shrinking coverage of Canadian books, especially sometimes, people come to the site to find out what's new and hot. So we're often, um, if you look at book title pages or you look at the way publishers describe their books, um, we're often cited alongside the Globe and Mail, CBC, Quill and Quire, um, in terms of like our editor's picks or books that we, we say are kind of like, you know, the best of the year or whatever. Another thing that I wanted to mention is that 49th Shelf um, is produced by the Association of Canadian Publishers and that it receives financial support from the Department of Canadian Heritage and Ontario Creates. Um, there's a whole group of people that um, work every day on the site. Um, on, on a rolling basis, we have designers and web developers uh, helping us out and they really helped with the new um, the relaunch and the editorial team is important to mention so I'm the managing editor Carrie Claire is our editor-in-chief and she runs um, the blog generally like a lot of the, the blog content um, we have a series called the chat and uh, Trevor Corkum who's an excellent writer and interviewer he is the guy behind that Robert J. Wiersma is an author and former book, shell, um, book um, seller, and he runs our Shelf Talkers uh, series that has to do with um, indie booksellers' recommendations um, that we put up once a quarter. And then we have Julie Booker, and she's our resident children's uh, librarian columnist, and she, she kind of picks books for different curricula areas and grades and reasons to read and all that sort of thing. Our following question was about like, what does Fortnite Shelf offer to publishing people and non-publishing people? But I think that you just went through like a lot of different options that even people who are like just avid readers and not necessarily involved in publishing yeah. can definitely use this tool for. And same thing with the publishers, right? People yeah. Publishing. 
And I think for readers, it's important because, you know, surveys, historical surveys have found that people are really interested in reading Canadian books, but that they have trouble finding them sometimes. So it's, uh, it's specifically designed to just help them help readers, help librarians, help teachers, um, media, anyone make it easier for them to find um, Canadian books. And part of the answer to that question too is a, is, is a data is a data answer, which is there is a way of um, tagging books as Canadian authored. And so before, when 49th Shelf was just getting started back in 2011, um, we only could find about 15,000 Canadian authored books to put onto the site because that tag wasn't commonly used. But now we've helped to kind of encourage that use of um, that, that country code use. And so that's been a, that, that's enabled us to grow the site to, to where it is, which is 130,000, um, you know, or so Canadian books, which is very exciting. Yeah, and so for publishers, how can publishers use it? Um, they can use it, it's, it's really, it's a marketing platform. Um, it's another way that they can have their authors um, speak to readers. And yeah, they can have their authors make lists. Um, yeah, we've got obviously thousands and thousands of people looking at what, what's on the site. So yeah, we encourage publishers to reach out to us. Um, we send a newsletter to publishers twice a month or once a month. And we can easily, um, people can talk to us through our editors. So I'm one of the editors. Um, Carrie Claire is our main editor, um, and she loves to hear pitches and ideas for how to feature books on the site. Um, yeah, so it's just a, it's a marketing platform. So there's definitely an opportunity for publishers to use this. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, they can use it. I mean, that's the sort of active way that they can use it. But the other way that that they can use it is that. 49 Shelf is also a beautiful way of presenting books that publishers can present their books and all the data about them. Um, and so the more data that they include on their books, the better they look on 49 Shelf and the better they look throughout the supply chain as well. So we're looking for, you know, jacket covers, of course, but also, you know, everything from excerpts to reviews to um, what other uh, to, to whether there's a, a series or whether, you know, what category a book's in, what subject, any information that can help a book be found on the internet is brought into the site. And then we, our designers, find a way of kind of making that interesting and attractive. And it promotes reader engagement when they're on the site as well. So, so for publishers, it's really important to you know, provide as much data as they can on their books. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like that's something that we also preach at BookNet. Please give us good metadata because yeah. that's the only way to put it out there in the world for retailers, for readers, for libraries, for everyone, right? Yeah. The best way to sell their books, basically. Yeah, I know. I remember I, I wrote somewhere else, I think I was telling you, but I wrote somewhere else about you know, the studies that show the extent to which different levels of data can help to sell books. And that was back in 2017. 
but um, a re, uh, when was it? It was, yeah, 2017, a Nielsen book, US uh, study had found that just, you know, basic elements like ISBN, title, format, publication date, all the, all the really basic things would give a book um, a chance at 75% higher sales than those that didn't have those. And then, you know, as you added on data elements, the boost to sales was just remarkable. And so, yeah, we, we're, we don't sell books off the site, but we, we want to make them exciting enough that people want them. And that's, that's a data function as well, right? Definitely, yes. Mm. So now, um, jumping to our next question. Uh, are there any strategies put in place to highlight the work of Canadian contributors that come from traditionally underrepresented communities? That is such an interesting question. Um, and I should say that the editors that have been working on the site, we've been working on it. Well, Carrie and I have been on it for 10 years. So we have watched Canlet grow and expand and change so much in that period of time. Um, and Trevor Corkum and Rob Wiersema um, and Julie Booker, who's our children, our resident children's libra uh, librarian columnist. We've all been on it so much and for, for so long that we've seen how much more traditionally underrepresented communities have become part of the most exciting conversations about CanLit. So it used to be more of a strategy of a, of a really calculated strategy, like how do, we, how do we put the focus on this? But it's getting so much easier now. And part of that is also because publishers are, are publishing more books from you know, non-white you know, authors, male authors. I mean, it's, it's like the amount of diversity now is stunningly different than it was five years ago. But I, um, I knew that you were going to ask that question. So I asked um, our two editors, um, Carrie and, and Trevor, what they would say to that. And so Carrie said, for me, it's not so much a strategy, but just a general focus on Canadian literature that defies all the can-lit cliches. And the voices of traditionally underrepresented communities is a huge part of that. When you're paying attention to what's interesting, these contributors are going to be part of it. So that's what she had to say. And what Trevor had to say, he's the one who um, leads our interview series called The Chat. He says, not a strategy per se, but I always make a conscious effort to profile a wide diversity of writers on the chat, diverse in the widest pos possible sense. BIPOC writers, um, two-spirit LGBTQ plus writers, writers with disabilities, but also older writers, emerging writers, by genre, by underrepresented regions of the country, non-traditional hybrid approaches to writing, etc. So no, there's not a strategy, but you can tell the way that we're thinking when we're when we're developing our editorial program. I love that. I think that's amazing. I think that's the goal, right? That mm. it just becomes so part of what it's being offered that you don't necessarily have to think like, oh, I need to put a main focus on this specific category because it needs to be highlighted. It's just part of the whole conversation now. And yeah, it's kind of like breathing in a way, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, mm -hmm. a, but there's been so much, there's so much more air now. There's so exciting right and you think of some of the big award winners I mean the award programs over the past couple of years are 
are incredibly different than what they would have been in the first decade of, of the 2000s, you know? I'm thinking about books like Shut Up, You're Pretty by Tia Mutonji and Brother by David Chariandi. How to Pronounce Knife was such a massive book a couple years ago. And then, you know, another huge book has been Five Little Indians by Michelle Good, Katharina Vermette's books. Um, Johnny Appleseed was also, you know, really big and Jordan Tannehill this year, Giller finalist. And those, I don't think that that many of books would have been, I think that's, that's new that, that you can just rhyme those books off now like that, you know? I agree. agree. That's, Mm. that's great. Um, And thank you to the other editors that send the answers. I appreciate that. So let's jump to our next question. And we sort of talk a little bit about like metadata and how it influences uh, the work that you do and marketing in general. So keeping track of the books that where Canadians have contributed, contributed their work is definitely no easy, especially if they don't include the Canadian marker. Mm -hmm. And we know Biblisher, BookNet's quality control data aggregation um, distribution system helps with this. Um, but I would like to know if, from your perspective and your role at Fortnite Shelf, if you think that there are any additional steps that publishers can take from a metadata-driven point of view to get their books out there. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So yes, Fortnite Shelf does import data records from BiblioShare, and it also has its own data importer that's built into it. Um, and so I guess something to think about like a a core concept to think about is just that a book does not just exist by itself it's defined by a whole bunch of relationships and all of those relationships can make it richer and um, allow it to find its right readers Um, and not only its right readers but like different kinds of readers and extend its audience so you know, data such as um, contributors, listing all the contributors. Um, the, so the publisher, imprint, series, subject, keyword, other editions of the same work, ebooks or audiobooks. Um, and so on 49 Shelf, we maintain all those relationships automatically. Um, and we, so, so we're basically trying to help readers find books by the same author or in the same series or category. And then our job then is to, to present that. And we have wonderful designers that, that help us to present that on the site in a, in a beautiful way and in a way that promotes reader engagement. But yeah, um, I just think of like, even a few years ago, because I do the social media on Twitter and Facebook, and I would want to talk about a book. And this, this is like, you know, kind of, I don't know if this is this isn't as relevant now because people are in, are including their book jackets more often now, but I'd go to to get excited about a book and there would not be a book jacket. And I'm like, well, I can't, I can't do that because no one's gonna click on it. And so the more things that you give to to with to have people engage with, the more opportunity you're gonna you're gonna have to to build awareness and have your book sold. I agree, definitely. The visual piece is always fundamental when it comes to social media. It's so, so important. Mm-hmm. And just by name, it's just, yeah, really not easy to promote something. Um, yeah. And I think also there are, there are, 
different types of readers who are motivated by different things. So um, some are really into reviews. Uh, I know I'm one of those people. I always check out reviews and I look at blurbs and all that sort of thing. And I think that's a definite category of readers. So that's important. And then you think about Amazon and that look inside um, tab that they provide the function on their books. And that really motivates a lot of people. And the equivalent of that, of course, is, is including an excerpt. And so we love when we see excerpts included in metadata. Definitely, yeah, us too. We actually published a blog post on our website with regards to interior images and also about excerpts and cover images and how important they are and how easy it is to get them distributed among the supply chain if yeah you know they just added it to metadata yeah uh, so an invitation for our listeners to check out those resources that are going to be listed in the episode notes um okay so i would love to hear now what it's next for foreign and shelf i know that the website uh recently was updated and yes. it looks incredibly pretty and super user-friendly i loved it okay. but yeah we want to hear what's next um it's kind of what what's always next which is trying to build more partnerships um you know we work uh to help promote the giller um, award program. We're partners with the Governor General's um, award program. And so we like to partner. And we, I think we've been doing some syndicated um, work with, uh, with Kobo. We love to share other people's work and we love to have our work shared. And so event organizers, any kinds of partnerships that basically help, help to not share our brand so much as share excitement about Canadian books and authors as widely as possible. So we're just, you know, part of that overall ecosystem. And so just kind of that's, that's what we're looking into doing is just further nurturing that. Um, and then obviously further, our, further expanding our audience. So the more chatter there is and the more wonderful podcasts like you're doing, uh, that helps to accomplish that goal. Uh, so our last question, unless you want to share something else with us, is what books by Canadian contributors do you have in your to-be-read pile at the moment? Um, <laughs> I have open at the moment. I have Katharina Vermette's The Strangers. Uh, but, and, and then on my, uh, on my phone, I have um, Sean Hitchens' The Light Streamed Beneath It. And I want to read The Listeners by Jordan Tannehill. And uh, I have heard so many people talking about Billy Ray Belcourt's A History of My Brief Body. And so that's definitely on the list. Um, I will probably read that before Christmas, but lots of others as well. That's amazing. That's amazing. So that's the end of all our questions. Um, okay. Was there anything else about the project that you wanted to share? Something that we missed? I think a really interesting thing that happened last year, if we look at the pandemic and what it did to Canadian authors and Canadian publishers and how rough that was to not be able to have in-person readings and launch opportunities. One heroic thing I thought that our editor, Carrie Claire did was that she um, started a series called Launchpad. 
she did more than 60 of them um, over the course of that first part of the pandemic that allowed authors to come on and read a little bit um, from their work and talk about the most exciting parts of their books and basically have a launch, uh, like a virtual launch. And Carrie was so passionate about it. And it was so above and beyond what her normal role was. And um, that sort of thing goes on a lot here. It's like, we get so excited that sometimes <laughs> we can't contain ourselves. And, and I thought that was a pretty neat thing that she did last year. Well, kudos to Carrie for living such a great idea because I think yeah that was really important especially back then when everything seemed so chaotic and I know like so many authors were like super excited about going on tour and then everything fell apart so providing those platforms it was definitely I I think appreciated by them and by the readers also you know to discover new reads I could go on and on and on but we don't have time so but it's it's just the best project ever and we love working with all the stakeholders and the publishers and the authors and it's just so much fun and it's always exciting so that's what I would say about it. Well thank you Kylie for joining us today it was amazing to have this chat with you. Thank you so much and thank you for the opportunity of uh, having us on and talking about it. Absolutely. Before I go, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge that BookNet Canada staff, board, partners, and our makeshift podcast studio operate upon the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, the Anishinaabek, the Haudenosaunee, and Wendat Indigenous Peoples, the original nations of this land. We endorse the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada and support an ongoing shift from gatekeeping to space making in the book industry. And we hope that our work, including this podcast, helps to create an environment that supports that shift. We would also like to acknowledge the Government of Canada for their financial support through the Canada Book Fund. And of course, thanks to you for listening. 